Kia ora, I'm Damien Venuto, it's July 17th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. Kiwi CEOs are paid 30 to 50 times more than the average wage. Questions have long been asked about whether those levels of remuneration are justified, particularly when the performance of an organisation doesn't always live up to expectations. This, of course, applies to private companies, but the salaries of some public sector CEOs have also led to sharp criticism. As the country heads into a recessionary period, is there any likelihood of top bosses taking pay cuts? And in the high-flying world of executive salaries, does it pay more to work in the private or public sector? On the front page today, we have NZME Managing Editor of Business, Duncan Bridgman, run through the big numbers behind our top bosses. Duncan, to start with, what were some of the key trends you saw in the pay private company bosses receive while doing your series? Well, quite a few, actually. First and foremost, we saw pay packets bounce back from you know what was a bit of a depression through COVID era where, where many executives took voluntary pay cuts. But we also saw them cash in on what was quite a strong bull market in the um, NZX, for example, through that period up until early 2021. The NZX 50 peaked in January 2021, I think it was. So many of them had incentive schemes that were basically performance pay that was tied to a company's share price. And so, for example, there was one CEO who in 2022 financial year received a big long-term incentive that was defined over the period from 2018 to mid-2021. So it really captured the heights of the market at that point. So when, he, when it came time to vest the shares that he was eligible for, they were at top dollar. I'm actually talking about the EBOS chief executive here, and hence uh, he topped the list. Uh, when converted into New Zealand dollars from Australian, he was six and a half million or something like that. So on the private side, it's really about rewarding those bosses who ended up managing their businesses well through COVID. Yeah, that's right. And I think also what the survey showed was that the previous year, they may not have received an incentive like that. So you, you, know, you get these big divergences, and, and it was a bounce up uh, last year in particular. But there was also some pent-up demand which drove the economy through that post-COVID or the immediate post-COVID there. You know, once we came out of lockdowns, there was good activity across many industries and so they were able to capitalise. What about the public sector? We often hear concerns that bureaucrats are taking away all the good talent by offering higher pay. Was that the case when you looked at the top pay in the public sector? It's kind of interesting because, you, you know, you look through the list, there's definitely some areas that you, uh, you'd expect to be higher paid I think you know there's agencies for example that are quite big and complex and the chief executive's got a big job to do and there's a massive gap between what he or she's being paid as to you know their comparison in the private sector and I'm just thinking of some of those big entities like the Ministry for Primary Industries or or MB for example they're sort of in the five to six hundred thousand dollars a year range if you put that up against a big private enterprise, uh, you know, they'll be well short, you know, 10 times less. And then there's other agencies where the bosses are getting fairly handsome rewards for what is possibly not a uh, great demanding job and, you know, whether the outcomes there are as you'd expect as well because they don't really have that same commercial operation where there's a performance tied to it. You can't monitor their performance. What you're touching on there is quite an interesting angle because 
measuring performance in the public sector can be tricky because it's not as easy as just measuring profit and the money that's coming in. Quite often it's about how well those services are working, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, you can see a few of these roles, you know, arguably you'd say they're quite a cushy job. And there's been some careers that have been built on being able to stay in that in that public sector role. That's a bit of a mixture. I mean, you've got to also take your hat off to some of the uh, other top jobs they do. They're between a rock and a hard place. There's a lot of politics involved. There's a lot of bureaucracy they're dealing with. It's way more than, you know, less nimble than, uh, than what a private sector firm is. So I mean, you've got all that to kind of factor in. Duncan, pay is obviously one aspect of this whole equation, but how are we tracking on diversity when we're looking at the public and the private sector? Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think um, when you look at the private sector first, for example, we have seen a little improvement. Um, when I look at the numbers there in the top 10 highest paid CEOs, for example, we have three female chief executives, Victoria Short at ASB, uh, the former BNZ Chief Executive Angela Mentis and Jolie Hodson at Spark, all in that top 10. Across the 60-odd companies that we looked at, there's only nine female CEOs. So in the words of the Shareholders Association Chair Oliver Manda, you know, that's pretty abysmal. So of our Champions for Change organisations, we've now got 28% who have female CEOs. That's up 2% on last year. It's still not really approaching our target, which is 40, 40, 20, 40 male, 40 female, and and 20 other male, female, or gender diverse progress, but it's pretty slow. In the public sector, I think when you look down the list, there's a more even balance, particularly in gender, but more so when it comes to ethnicity. And I think in the private sector, that's a, you know, I I mean, there's nowhere, you know, that's not even really registering. So there's a big disparity there. Were there any pay packets that really surprised you when you looked at all the information? There's always surprises, and if we compare private and, and public, I think more surprises would have been in the in the public sector. You know, we kind of know what you know, some of the listed companies are going to be remunerating their top bosses. I think in the public sector, you, you uh, there's so many agencies that uh, that's what really struck me. I mean, over 200 or something like this, and uh, so you've got names you've never heard of before. One of them, and maybe I'm naive or showing my ignorance, but a New Zealand Walking Access Society or something. Nope, I haven't heard of that one, <laughs> so you're not alone. <laughs> and uh, and the CEO is getting you know, two hundred and fifty thousand. Fair enough, might be a good job. You know, might be a tough job, but they're the kind of ones that stuck out for me. At the top end, Matt Winneray at the uh, New Zealand's um, Superannuation Fund, for example. You know, he's the top earner at one point four million. In the private sector, that'd be a lot more. Now you guarantee that if, I mean, ANZ Bank, for example, they're not sort of managing a massive fund like Matters, but they're two or three times more highly paid. Just just listening to those numbers, um, there seems to be quite a lot of discrepancy there. So it isn't necessarily tied to market rates, but is there any correlation between market rates and the public sector pay? The public sector pay is determined by the State Services Commissioner, Peter Hughes. Uh, not all of it. Uh, I mean, he controls you know, maybe 50, 60% of the um, remuneration Across the board and the other is by the remuneration committee which is an agency in itself and, and so their guidelines they uh, they release guidelines every year about the performance and things like that and since 2018 they've really clamped down on pay increases they've even got rid of the performance component in the state sector and except for uh, the New Zealand's um, superannuation fund which is a different beast but it's all very kind of quite uniform and so you know there's not much discrepancy each year and year out. So you're either going to get 
a bit of a boost or you're not. Up until the end of 2022, we saw the state sector executives you know, actually decrease in, in, in their average overall pay because of these kind of things, plus the pay cuts they got during COVID uh, also took that down. But now we're starting to see that to bounce back up. If you're finding this episode of The Front Page interesting and informative, be sure to follow us on iHeartRadio or whichever podcast app you're using right now. Every listen helps us keep you up to date with the stories that matter. Despite the fact that the pay does seem to be quite low in some instances, some workers do end up working for quite a long time in the public sector. Do you think that they could derive some benefit from shifting to the private sector for a while? Yeah, absolutely. I think that would be good. They might not come back, of course, and then and then so you've got a talent shortage in, in the public sector. I think there has been a lot of churn and a lot of chief executives moving between departments into different agencies, and part of that has been caused by rationalisation or you know, new job sizing and different roles or amalgamation in some cases, but you will see names kind of pop up. And if you're looking back three years, for example, you might, or even four or five years, you might see one name across maybe three entities and they work there for a year and then and then on to another one and then on to another one. And maybe they're just the cleaner or something, you know, like <laughs> the cleaner as I mean, the specialist who's brought in to fix things. Yeah, so you see a lot of that. And I think it would be quite good to, you know, have some that perhaps has been a long time in these roles to, I mean, try a different environment for a while and then and then possibly go back. If you look at someone like Rob Campbell, where he has gone from the private sector into the government sector and then hit a few hiccups along the way. The chair of Te Whatawata Health New Zealand, Rob Campbell, has been sacked by the health minister. It comes after he broke rules on political neutrality by criticising National's Three Waters policy in an online post. God, I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing, right? But where do you stand now, 12 hours on from your sacking? Well, I stand here. (laughs) It's not a bad place to start. Do you think that could be a warning to people who are trying to straddle both those worlds or move from one world to the other, that this isn't as easy as what you think it is? That's probably the main factor in why we don't see that much switching, because, you know, you're going to bring a completely different viewpoint and, and that may not be transitional into what I described before a lot of bureaucracy a lot of you know complexity in the public sector that you don't have in the private sector and vice versa what about performance are there any examples of government-run organizations underperforming despite the high salaries that are being paid to these executives I think it's quite subjective I guess and everyone has their own view on some particular entities and agencies I mean how did Waka Kotahi go in the last few years for example you know everyone's got a view on that right when it comes down to it, the role of the chief executive is to bring these organisations together, all the staff, and work it through. So it's not necessarily all falls on one person. Certainly, I think in the state-owned enterprise area, there's a couple instances there where you could say, you know, the departing chief executive, for whatever reason, ended up being quite well rewarded. And the reason they, they left was because of poor performance. So that's the golden parachute termination payment mm-hmm. um, and, and so whether or not there needs to be a bit of a, a bit of a look into that you know I suggest that there should be. Are there any departing CEOs that were given quite a handsome payout despite the fact that an organization didn't perform as well as it expected? When I look at Kiwi Rail for example, uh, Greg Miller was the previous uh, chief executive there and you know he sort of resigned under a bit of a cloud things weren't going too well. Um, there, there were a few inquiries uh, happening at the time. 
and he received you know a, a pretty handsome payout at the end of the day. So it was all uh, legitimate. Mm-hmm. It was all part of his contract. You've got a six months uh, in lieu of uh, resignation uh, sort of thing. It's all tied in. And another one, it's not strictly a SOE, but if you look at Ports of Auckland, for example, it's it's owned by the council, so we did include that. Their chief executive, previous chief executive, also um, you know, had some difficulties and ended up resigning or moving on. He received $1.8 million. So you've got a, um, a bit of a situation there. Duncan, do you think that public frustration could see those large salaries and golden parachutes perhaps being reduced in the future? Or do you think that market rates will always play a role in determining how much public sector CEOs earn? Well, I think you've got to have systems in place where you can attract and retain the best talent. Arguably, you could say that the overall or the average remuneration across the state sector is actually prohibitive to attracting talent. I mean, you know, you just look at the comparison with the private sector. It's a big chasm still. By the same token, at the other end of the scale, you don't want to sort of make it too attractive. And as we say, we, you know, you've got to have examples like that uh, more and more often if that's the case. So you've got to strike a balance there. And um, I think what Peter Hughes, as as his tenure comes to an end at the State Services Commission, has been very mindful of that. And, and I think that's you know, what we're seeing now is a little bit of a tilt back to, okay, we're going to start paying these people a bit more because, you know, there's been these, you know, war for talent and there's been people moving around poaching and and a lot of people moving overseas. So, you know, you've got to look after the long term and future proof the organisation through good recruitment and retention. And on the private side, given that we are going through a technical recession at the moment and you do have companies making some cuts and some staff perhaps feeling a little bit underpaid, do you see any prospect of CEOs maybe taking another pay cut as they did in COVID to keep their employees and their boards happy? Probably not. <laughs> um, I think you know that now's the time where they need to earn their keep the most. You know, you're coming into recession, you're coming out of what has been um, you know, a really challenging time anyway. And now you're... Um, looking to kind of grow your business out of where there's kind of stifled demand. So you need your chief executive to be firing on all six cylinders to be going well. So I wouldn't expect that. I would think that there might be some kind of austerity at some levels, maybe around perks and travel and that sort of thing. In the private sector front as well, um, a lot of these incentive schemes have already been locked in and they might be halfway through that cycle or they might be nearing the end of that cycle. So it is depending on a bit of past performance there as to how that works out. Thanks for joining us, Duncan. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson and Paddy Fox with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. You can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.